0: This is the Human Action Podcast, where we debunk the economic, political, and even cultural myths of the days. Here's your host, Dr. Bob Murphy.
1: Welcome, everyone, to another episode of the Human Action Podcast. This week, I am joined by Jonathan Newman, longtime friend of the Institute. uh, And also, some exciting news, Jonathan, why don't you explain to the listeners and the viewers, for those watching the video, uh, you have a new role with the uh, Institute starting pretty soon.
0: That's right. Uh, uh, Starting in June, I'll be at the Institute full-time in Auburn, Alabama. I'll be an academic fellow doing some writing and speaking. I'll be teaching in the Mises Institute's uh, graduate program uh, that they have and uh, helping out with conferences and all that sort of thing. I'm I'm really looking forward to it. Okay. Well, very exciting. And yeah, I'm sure I'll see you uh, there when
1: I – I'm sure I'll be in Auburn at some point in the not-too-distant future myself. Uh, so folks, what we're doing for this episode is something that we can all rally around is to guffaw and, uh, chortle at a recent (laughs) Krugman op-ed, what, what brings us together, if not Paul Krugman. Uh, and it was, it's just auspicious that, you know, here when I have to, in the first episode after my co-host leaves, we have Krugman to really rally the troops around the flag here. Uh, so why don't I briefly summarize what Krugman said in this piece and then, uh, the reason folks I, the Jonathan was a a great guest to have this week was because he actually on his own had a a Twitter thread just picking apart this Krugman column. But for, in case people missed it, let me go ahead and, uh, read it. So what this was, the, the title of it was, you know, so it's a Paul Krugman op-ed in the New York times, uh, called the weird new war on woke money. And, uh, he starts out, he's making fun of Ron DeSantis and, uh, Specifically, what happened is that Desantis, in his uh, campaign against wokeness, amongst other things, is now targeting a central bank digital currency. Going so far is to try to introduce legislation to say, "Hey, I want to make it illegal for Floridians to to use a central bank digital currency." You know, obviously, the Federal Reserve w- would issue. And so, uh, and so, Desantis gave this speech on March twentieth, where he was railing against. The ostensible dangers and evils of a CBDC, Central Bank Digital Currency. And he had a sign that said Big, Bro- Big Brother's Digital Dollar. And he warned, DeSantis warned that it was going to impose an ESG agenda and saying, for example, if the government thought you had spent too much on gasoline, you know, vis a vis your carbon emissions, or if they just caught you trying to buy rifles. They could just turn off your money, access to your money. If, if you know that, so he's trying to explain these are the dangers. This is why he doesn't want it for Florida. Okay, so then Krugman says, if this sounds crazy, that's because it is. I have no idea whether DeSantis believes any of it or even knows what a central bank digital currency is or what it would do. And it's possible he's taking the stand out of general paranoia. And then Krugman goes on to his central claim, which is that the people pushing DeSantis into this position, the reason they fear a CBDC, is that they wouldn't be able to launder money or engage in other criminal activities because right now that's why they use cash. And if we if it, you know, we all go completely digital, then you can't do that anymore. So that's Krugman's theory. Um, let me just see here. A lot of this he's just given some factoids about cash and circulation. So Krugman's main points are he's saying some people legitimately fear the use of conventional banks, and they're the ones who are using cash right now, even though they're law-abiding citizens. It's just... They're wary of banks. And, and Krugman admits, yep, with the recent failure of uh, you know, Silicon Valley Bank and so on, you can understand where they're coming from. And he said, but for those people, a CBDC would be a godsend because it, it can't fail, right? It's the, the Fed doesn't issue claims to dollars. It's actual dollars themselves, legally speaking, right? Whereas your commercial bank really just has you know owes you money. It doesn't actually keep all that in the vault for you. And so the CBDC should be good for those people. And for the others that are against this, so the ones that use currency, again, Krugman thinks it's because they're financing terrorism or they're drug dealers or whatever. And so obviously, you know, those are bad people and we don't we don't want to help them. It's if it if they oppose this, that just shows how good the proposal is. OK, so that's kind of where he ends up. Um, and so why don't I stop at that point, Jonathan, and, and let you Take a crack at this so what what are your initial thoughts regarding this this Krugman
0: column my My thoughts were as he was going through it uh it's it's almost like he was expecting uh, DeSantis to have some evidence for his claims in the form of like Jerome Powell saying something to the effect of, you know, if we implement this CBDC, then there's a chance that we'll stop some of your transactions that we don't like. Which, of course, like that's not going to exist. Like he's expecting there to be like some hard, hard evidence like that. And so for him to say that these are like sort of unfounded, paranoid suspicions, like he's a, a conspiracy theorist by saying that this is that this is a real risk, like consumer privacy is a real risk when it comes to um, a central bank digital currency. And so I was just thinking, okay, well, what evidence do we have? What, what can we actually point to that would lead us to think that there are these sorts of risks when it comes to increasing government control over the way that we use money? And so in my Twitter thread that you mentioned, I just went through some of the history of, of how, how governments have basically are really just the U.S. government has, has lost our trust when it comes to our the way that we can use our income um, and the way that we do our spending. And so I pointed out the creation of the Federal Reserve, um, which even though it, it did come through Congress, there were like these sort of backroom deals going on with cronies um, and it cartelized the banking system and that the the creation of the Federal Reserve and all that it does really comes at the expense of U.S. citizens. So every time that it goes through its expansionary monetary policy, it's decreasing the purchasing power, of, of everybody's dollars. I I mentioned a civil asset forfeiture. I talked about how FDR confiscated gold and Nixon went off the, the Bretton Woods system. So all of these things, they just, they show a trend of, of the government taking more and more control over the way we use money and the way we do banking. And so the, if we give this, this sort of, power to the to the government and and to the Federal Reserve to issue its its own uh, digital currency like this, then I mean, it's even though there's no like promise or a, a guarantee that they would do those sorts of things, it seems pretty clear that. Like it's an inevitability like this is going to happen where they're going to they're going to say this one person was at the wrong protest and they're going to classify them as a terrorist and basically prevent them from using their money the, the way they want to or prevent gun purchases or even try to um, uh, implement things along the lines of a, of a climate change agenda where where you get to. Uh, you get credits or punished uh, taxed in a certain way through the c b d c because you're buying too much gasoline, something along those lines so that that sort of threat seems obvious to me, and so I think it was totally uh, fine for DeSantis to bring it up in his his speech as as something that we at least we should be cautious about um, but of course Krugman's take is that you know if you have nothing to hide, then you have nothing to fear, so as long as you're on the u s government's side then then you shouldn't be scared about this at all.
1: Yeah, so, so I'll, I want to revisit, I think, each of those points that you just brought up there and, and elaborate on them for the listeners. But before we jump into that, let me explain something or, or, or draw something out because this is a point that I actually hadn't fully fleshed out. It was it was George Gammon. Some of you may know him. Um, it's The uh, the Rebel Capitalist is his YouTube show. Uh, he's always got an end the Fed cap on, if, if you're familiar with George. And so I was talking to him on a different podcast a few weeks ago, and he was making the point, and he's been blasting it from the hilltops on Twitter, warning people to say, you know, guys, stop thinking of a CBDC in the United States as like a Fed coin, that all it really means is that regular citizens have checking accounts with the Federal Reserve. That that would that would qualify as a central bank digital currency, right? So so it doesn't have to be this newfangled thing that's like competing with Bitcoin and it's on a blockchain and it's called something else, and then people will say, oh, should I continue to use dollars that I have a checking account with at Citibank, or should I use FedCoin, which is this thing, and I got to get my MetaMask wallet and because and, and, then that seems like it's not really a, an immediate threat. Whereas George's point was no, especially with the failure of Silicon Valley Bank and all these things that. It's going to be a very easy sell. In fact, you can imagine certain activists pushing for it to say, hey, why don't we have regular people being allowed to have all the privileges that the big banks have and just have a checking account right with the Fed, you know, perhaps even getting paid, you know, interest on reserves. Why don't we get interest, you know, get 5% on your checking account with the Fed? Totally guaranteed. The Fed can't fail, right? If there's a bank run on the Fed, it doesn't matter because they just create money electronically and right on cue right when George was saying that stuff it, Krugman had this column come out where he has a sort it's sort of like an offhand remark in this column that we you know the Jonathan you and I are discussing right now but Krugman does say that that you know this would solve everything but of course the banking lobby won't you know it, it's technically illegal with the Federal Reserve Act but in any event the banking lobby wouldn't go for it and then Dean Baker piggybacking on Krugman's column also seconded the idea or the notion that yeah, it would be awesome if the average Joe Six Pack could have a checking account right with the Fed, but the bankers would never let that happen. And so again, my, my point with this little digression is just to make sure people are realizing when we talk about a CBDC, it doesn't have to be this newfangled thing that would require a bunch of Americans like starting to use crypto. It could just be from your point of view, oh yeah, I have a checking account with a you know a regular debit card and a checkbook with the Fed. It, it would it wouldn't feel like you were doing something, you know, new, it would just be instead of banking with Bank of America, it would be with the Federal Reserve. And yet there'd be a qualitative difference in the amount of power that would give the government. So I don't know, do you you want to comment on that little Uh, twist? I would
0: would just add, I would just add that uh, uh, there's, there's more to it than just the privacy angle, which is that there's uh, just in terms of the Federal Reserve being able to implement its monetary policy, that the, the way that a retail CBDC in particular would, it would really exacerbate everything that we see currently. So it, it, if you can imagine like, like, uh, expansion of the money supply going out more broadly, more quickly, as opposed to doing the stepwise fashion that we're familiar with. If you're in Austrian circles about new money entering the economy through financial intermediaries first, but, but it, this, Giving everybody a bank account with the Federal Reserve just opens the door for brand new like transmission mechanisms for for monetary policy, and, and I think that this would just it would. I, I mean, we thought that there was an unleashing of of the central bank with uh, 1971, the closure of the Bretton Woods. I think we would have another unhinging if if we opened this up as well.
1: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Incidentally, let me just mention: I don't want to be miss. So it is possible that the you know commercial banking and investment banking lobbies would delay this sort of thing. You know, I'm not, I'm not saying I think this is going to happen next Tuesday, but my point is just that because I wasn't thinking about it, I was thinking CBDC meant Fed coin or Euro coin or Yen coin or something. But no, it it, it could just be oh yeah, U.S. dollars that are, are electronic, and I go and log in and see it. it and you wouldn't even have to be aware of of a, it wouldn't even have to literally be on a blockchain even and technically that that would qualify as cbdc cuz it's not saying central bank cryptocurrency it's saying central bank digital currency um and uh because i don't know if you're familiar jonathan but with the with the narrow bank it was this proposal that i think they were out of connecticut these guys had a bank i'm sure there were some women involved too um had a bank that all it was going to do was take deposits from some major institutional clients and just I think there just applying for a master account with the Fed and just park it there in order to get the interest on reserves and then pass that through, you know, less the overhead or whatever to the, these big institutional clients. So it wasn't for like Joe Sixpack either, but it was for, um, you know, larger organizations that didn't legally right now can't directly have an account with the Fed. So it was a way to allow them to gain access, you know, to cut out the middleman, so to speak. Um, and and that and they, the reason they called it the narrow bank TNB was what you know the initials for it was because it wasn't gonna it wasn't granting mortgages it wasn't acting as a credit intermediary it was just a place where people were parking their money effectively with the Fed and the Fed kept stalling and delaying implementation and and I think it's because once that option became available all these other big companies would say well why the heck are we banking with Citibank or you know why don't we just park all our funds over at things like this and we'll earn the interest on reserves instead of, you know, having the, the banks take a big slice. So I, I think Krugman and deed Baker are right that the banking lobby wouldn't want this, but I think they're wrong if they think that, Oh, and that's, it would be a good thing for Americans. So, um, but I, I did want to now just go and revisit some of those points that you went over, Jonathan. So a big one. And I think for me, it was the thing that made me say, Oh yeah, I got to get Jonathan on the podcast was the civil AF the, the, Forfeiture, the civil asset forfeiture uh, trend. So, for people who don't know about this, um, so I used to live in Nashville, and there was, um, I think it's, it might be I forty. I I, maybe I'm getting the interstate wrong, but there was this interstate that would you know went through Nashville, and what the the DEA like they set up roadblocks and whatever at one point checkpoint Charlie kind of thing, and because they were claiming oh there's there's all this drug traffic, there was like some you know major drug thing that you know I don't I don't know what the other city was on the other end but this traffic going in and out of Nashville on this one interstate and and so the idea was the drugs were coming in one way you know maybe coming in from the east and then the money was going out um the, the other way and so uh it's, it's, what was funny though is you would think they would want to stop the drugs going in no they set up the checkpoint on the other end so they would catch the the people leaving with the cars full of cash And, you know, so they'd let the money, they'd let the drugs go in and then they would catch the cash (laughs) on the way out. And so, you know, they would, you know, just be randomly pulling cars over or, you know, maybe if they had a a headlight out or whatever, I don't know. But they would search the car. And then, of course, if in the trunk they found suitcases full of cash, they wouldn't, you know, go get probable cause and build a case and then go to a jury of the person's peers and convict them. No, they would just take the money and then it was up to the driver to prove that he wasn't a drug dealer. And so, you know... I'm sure in many cases the person was a drug dealer because, you know, most of us are driving around with 80 grand in cash in our trunk. But there were horror stories of like some guy, I think he was in New York State, sold his house up there and had a, a bunch of cash in it because he didn't trust banks. And he was driving down south just to, you know, to go to move. He was he was moving from New York State to go down south somewhere and he got pulled over in this dragnet and they took all of his money and said no we think you're a drug dealer and it, 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 like he fought it in the courts for like more than a year i think he eventually got his money back but the point was they took his money and he had to spend more than a year you know l- legal fees and all that stuff proving that he wasn't a drug dealer it's not that they showed he was a drug dealer they didn't they didn't even charge him with anything they just took his money and said prove to us you're not a drug dealer so i thought that was a great example jonathan where you know the the fact that they can do that to people right now with currency how easy would it be if you, you know, if everyone switches so that all of their checking accounts are all held at the Fed and you engage in some activity and they just say, oh, well, that looks suspicious, we're flagging it. And they could even say, oh, we didn't take your money. It's not that, the, you know, the, the government took it and spent it. We just we're just holding it over here on t- pending further review. You know, we're just flagging right. it. You know, we're, we're freezing your assets. It's not that we took it. So it's not, you know, it's not violating your constitutional rights or anything. It's not an unjustified taking. We're just not letting you get access to it because you might be a drug dealer and we're, we're looking into it. And so, again, and that's, that's not science fiction. They do that right now with currency. So how much easier would it be? And right now it's sort of tangible. You know, People can imagine a guy driving and he's got a bunch of cash in the trunk. But the, if the story is, oh, I logged in and the digits were different from what they were the day before, like who cares? Like that doesn't even seem like it's a real
0: thing. Yeah, and I'm sure that when that sort of thing happens, that uh, there would be similarly no process or, or very difficult process for people to actually get their money back. So with the civil asset forfeiture, as you mentioned, it's extremely difficult for these people uh, um, whose, whose money has been taken it's, it's difficult for them to actually get their money back. So I, I, can, I can totally imagine the scenario that you're talking about where, where somebody's uh, money is frozen because they, they bought the wrong thing or bought the wrong things in the wrong order. Um, um, and, and so then their, their money is just frozen. They can't even access it or, or, it's, or it's set aside. And there's nowhere to click. There's nobody to call where you can actually you know request and go through some sort of process to get your money back. It seems like it would all just be held up and difficult.
1: Yeah. um, Another obvious example, I don't know if you mentioned this in your thread, Jonathan, I forget, but the thing with the Canadian truckers, you
0: know, Mm -hmm, that was within,
1: you know, fairly recent memory. I'm sure many of the listeners know that, or maybe even personally were involved. For those who don't know, you know, so the Canadian truckers were protesting, uh, you know, some of the Canadian government's decisions with lockdowns and whatever that was, you know, hurting their livelihood, and they were driving to, you know, to go protest at the the Capitol, and, uh, and there were people in the United States who wanted to send donations to them in a bunch of the, um, intermediary. Do, do you remember, I don't want to f- falsely name a company, but I, I believe like PayPal, for example, was involved. Does that sound right to you, Jonathan? Do you, it, do it sound right? Yeah. Okay. So like I said, I'll, I'll stop there because I don't want to name a company that actually was innocent, but I'm <laughs> pretty sure PayPal was one of them, um, where, you know, they, they were just quote playing ball with the authorities and, Oh yeah, we're, we, you know, we don't want to support this kind of stuff and dah, da, da, da. And I heard horror stories of people who – it wasn't – the most egregious was I like, knew somebody in the United States, so they had some money you know in their PayPal account. They tried to send – like f- um, these numbers are – I'm making this up, but it, this is the spirit of what, what the guy said happened to him. And I knew him personally. It's not like I just read it on Reddit or something. And he sent like $50. And it wasn't even to the truckers per se. It was like to people handing out bottles of water to the people at the protest. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? It wasn't even – the, the, quote, bad guys, if you thought they were bad, it was, you know, just like if the Red Cross is giving rations to people in the camps or something, you know, they're not promoting violence. They're just saying we're just trying to, you know. So given that there's these people here, there's this group that was handing out bottles of water, and this guy sent like 50 bucks. And not only did that payment get flagged, but his whole account got frozen. I mean, eventually, I think they opened it up. again. So it's not like he lost the money permanently, but there was a period where his whole account just got shut down because of this, you know, suspicious thing. And, hey, we're investigating and we're coordinating with the government of Canada and blah, blah, blah. And the the situation is in flux. So, again, just, you know, these sorts of things, this is not paranoia or science fiction. This has already happened. And even, you know, stipulating the... The particulars, like if you thought, oh yeah, but those truckers really were breaking the law or something, so I can see why. If technically they were criminal, and you know we can't second guess the Canadian, this guy wasn't sending money to them. He was sending money to somebody that at best was handing out water to who you think is a criminal or something. You know, so uh, a- another example too um, that I was thinking of, Jonathan, not not financial, but you know, similarly to just impact people, is after January sixth. I remember. You know, all those people were there in the Capitol and then everyone's trying to fly home, you know, after the, the rally with Trump or whatever. And there were lots of people who were put on a no fly list. Right. So, they, you know, they had their return tickets. They went to the airport and some of them, they literally didn't even go to the cap. You know, maybe they went to see Trump's speech, but then they didn't participate. But because whatever, I don't know, they were picked up on a camera or something and people thought they were at the event. They just got flagged and they tried to go fly home and they couldn't get on their plane. And, you know, it wasn't Mm -hmm. that because they had been tried and convicted by a jury of their peers. It was just the government just said, nope, you can't fly until we sort this out. So, again, this is stuff that the U.S. government is already doing to political dissidents or whatever you want to call them. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, the idea that they might um, abuse, from our perspective, the power if they control everybody's checking accounts more directly I mean that that's not paranoia at all. That's just that's
0: standard operating procedure at this point. And of course, Krugman is gonna he's gonna talk about terrorism and kidnapping and ransom payments and and tax evasion and all, he's gonna throw out all these sorts of, of of very nasty sorts of of activities where and, and his claim is that. If, if you're using cash, then you're probably engaged in those sorts of activities. And so if you don't like a central bank digital currency, if you would prefer a private alternative, then that must mean that you want to do those sorts of terrible things as well. Uh, but in, in the current, uh, in the current MO of, of politics and, and the U.S. government, it, it just seems clear to me that um, it's not. It's not just going to be terrorism and money laundering that they're going after, but they're going to be going after people who have the wrong ideas and show up at the wrong protest and and b- buy the wrong gun in the wrong state and that sort of thing. And then and then they'll use that as or that's how it would play out in practice. But all of the rhetoric, as you see in Krugman's article, will be yeah, we're just trying to stop terrorism or we're just trying to to stop tax evasion that sort of thing.
1: hmm It and the specifics too, like you said, just to. Um, like the climate change stuff. Again, th- that's not something that Desantis's campaign is, you know, just dreaming up out of the clear blue sky. The World Economic Forum, they have all kinds of, you know, w- I don't know if working paper is the right word, but, you know, different groups they have working on these issues and stuff. And they probably even have videos about it saying precisely this, that, you know, what would be good is. You know, to sort of steer behavior. So it's not the heavy hand of government just telling you you can't eat meat, period. But more, you know, just the incentives are put in place to make you internalize the externalities and blah 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 blah. You know, it's a very scientific cost right. benefit and, you know, it's optimal way of steering behavior. And if you want to eat a burger, go right ahead. But you need to take into full consideration the you know, the impact <laughs> of your actions on everybody else, including unborn generations and blah, blah 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 blah. You know, so it's all very antiseptic and scientific and rational and you know, um and so Again, this is not stuff that DeSantis is just making up. There are people out there with PhDs working for big organizations, not necessarily the the Federal Reserve, that are advocating precisely this, because from their perspective, this makes perfect sense. Why wouldn't you do that? If you you really think, or if your organization pretends to really think, I don't know how many of actually believe this stuff, but if you're talking about how millions of people are going to be dead in the year 2075 if we don't drastically slam the brakes on emissions now, why wouldn't you implement some of this stuff if the government has happens to be in charge of a CBDC?
0: Yeah, I I have two things on that. So I, I recently saw um, one of those papers that you're talking about that was uh, written by the Uh, WEF, or maybe it was just like a post on their website where they were, they were praising this idea. I can't remember if it was actually implemented yet, but it was, it was an idea for a cryptocurrency that was based on carbon credits. So like you get, you get the currency by proving that you've reduced carbon emissions or something like that. And so that's how you would, that's how you would get the money. And then you could spend with that. So to the extent that you're going along with the climate agenda, then then you have more of these these credits, so that was one thing that I saw published by the uh, w e f but secondly uh, you can you can just look at the the way Federal Reserve research has changed over time and i I recently saw this actually just today uh, somebody posted uh, something um, that was they they looked at the keywords for Federal Reserve papers over time over the past few decades and it showed how things like race and gender issues and climate issues have been increasing and I- even if you just look at federal reserve officials and their papers and speeches they're constantly talking about the climate so so to think that the federal reserve is going to be like this blind sort of independent keep maintain your privacy sort of thing e- even while it's it's having this mission creep along along those lines is just it seems naive to me
1: yeah, I think it was something recently within like the last two years where I, I did see it, it was not it wasn't from the U.S. because I remember I think Jerome Powell kind of like, well, that's a very interesting proposal. But, you know, maybe blah, blah, blah. like He he kind of was was more standoffish about it. But, yeah, there was like um, somebody working for the IMF or the World Bank, something like that, where, yeah, they were they were talking about how we need to have, you know, central banks need to not just worry about inflation, and unemployment, but they need to bring in, you know, the, the perspective of of all the stakeholders you know not just shareholder but all the stakeholders like you know that's that's the big new catchphrase um that they were talking about uh, another whole element in all this i don't know how much of this was on your radar jonathan but the the issue of um you know in a in a in a so-called liquidity trap right so at this point now that price inflation is running hot we're not talking about this so much anymore but a few years ago back when interest rates were nominal ones were down at, you know, the 0% lower bound. And, uh, there was still slack in the economy, as they say, the major economists, you know, the establishment figures like Krugman and others were running around talking about, Oh yeah, we're in a liquidity trap. Government needs to run big budget deficits. And they lamented and said, Oh, you know, the government wouldn't have to run a budget deficit if only we could have negative real interest rates or sufficiently negative. Right. And so, um, you know, because if we don't have enough price inflation. Once the nominal interest rate hits zero, it's hard to get the. You know, what if the real clear, market clearing real interest rate is really supposed to be negative five percent, What if inflation, by which they mean CPI, is only running at three percent and nominal rates are zero, then the, you know that's a real rate of negative three. That's as low as you can go. And so, the, and the the problem was the the big boogeyman was that people can just go to cash, right? Because the banks could just start fining you, you know, like assessing a negative 2% charge every year for keeping your money in the bank. And in Japan, they actually did that with some big accounts where it was just, it wasn't worth it for them to pull it out in, in currency. And they even did a thing where they looked at your average balances over like the past two years or something. So even if those clients did pull their money out of the banks, they would still assess them for the money that they, you know, still left in there. But in any event, you know, I saw academic economists lamenting and saying if only we could move to a cashless society not only would we be able to crack down on tax evaders and terrorists and you know drug dealers and whatever but then the central bank could I- implement whatever interest rate policy it wanted because if people are forced to use their money that's you know stored so at, th- at that point they weren't talking about a central bank digital currency they just meant the commercial banks would go along with whatever the central bank's policy was but you know that that was the way they could have you know, significantly negative interest rates was because if all your money is just sitting on account somewhere, they could just make those numbers go down. And for people who think, well, that's insane. Why I don't how does that help? Because that makes you go spend. And so to a Keynesian, remember, generally speaking, if the economy's bad, it's because people aren't spending enough. And so that's the way to get them to spend. Well, you got a thousand dollars in your checking account. If you just sit there and do nothing, it's going to turn into 900 next year so you better go spend it now. In addition to prices rising, literally the amount of money you have shrinks when you know they're assessing those. And and again, so the reason they can't do that too aggressively right now is people will just pull their money out in the form of currency, which you know has a zero percent yield. And and so that was one of the arguments in favor of you know going all digital at the time. So this was this was
0: like five years ago where I saw people making this case. Do you, do you remember Greg Mankiw's solution to that problem? Yes, where he 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 wanted to. or his? I, it was I'm a sure stu- it was student that this it,
1: could be. It was a student that that's a grad. I think it was one of his grad students suggested
0: this, and Mankiw wrote it up and like, what a clever idea. Okay, yeah, yeah. So the the idea is that uh, since since people will flee to cash, how can we impose a negative interest rate on cash? And the, his solution, or his his student's solution, was. Uh, to draw a random number, I think it was between uh, zero and nine, uh, and any, any bill that has a serial number that ends with that value, I, I, I think it was just one through nine, I can't remember. Well, yeah, because it was a digit. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah uh, would immediately become uh, not legal tender anymore. So you couldn't, you couldn't use that those bills anymore. I was just imagining like, how, like, how could that even be put into practice, like when you're when you're paying? What, are people actually going to be looking at the serial numbers of, of every single dollar bill? That's like you're trying to pay for gas at a gas station. It's like, hold on, let me check and make sure all of these bills that you're giving me are are, are uh, the acceptable ones that are still legal tender.
1: Well, the, yeah. Let me, so just to make sure the, the listener got. Yeah. So, again, Greg Mankiw. And by the way, I'll I'll try to link to this, folks, um, and put it in the show notes for this episode because I wrote – when Mankiw ran this – I think it was a blog post uh, or maybe it was a, maybe it was an op-ed. I don't remember. Um, I critiqued it at the time at Mises.org. And then, and then Mankiw responded to that and saying, and making the case. Oh, that, I'm a, that. Okay. Yeah. So it was, it was a fun cause he, he, he kind of chuckled himself. They said, this is Robert Murphy. I think so, I'm nuts. Um, so <laughs> anyway, but but yeah, just to make sure people are getting that. So again, the, the, from the Keynesian and, and by the way, he's, yes, Greg Mankiw is a Keynesian, right? It's not a Republican Democrat thing. It's, it's, uh, you know, they're, they're all Keynesians now. They're all establishments. Um, so, again, the, the issue was, oh, it's too bad. People can just hold cash. And so if real interest rates need to be really negative, meaning that the nominal interest rate has to be negative, too, uh, to, to get the real rate to be what we need it to be, shucks, people just hold currency that that the lowest we can push nominal interest rates is zero. And so, again, Greg Mankiw's student said, no. We can effectively destroy 10% of the money the, the currency every time period, whether it's a year or whatever, just because again, we'll we'll everyone knows oh, on June 1st, we're gonna pick a number between zero and nine and then announce it. And then if you have currency where the serial, you know, each each bill has a serial number on it, if that last digit is the number that comes up, oops, sorry, that's not legal tender. And so he he didn't go into it too much. I think he kind of just did, Jonathan, like an offhand, you know, now there'd be some practical input. But if you think about it, what they could do, though, is just to say it's not legal tender. And so buyer beware, or, or I guess seller beware. And so, you know, if you, like like clearly the banks would, would, you know, if you go deposit cash in an ATM or something, the bank would clearly mm-hmm. say, we're going to inspect this. And if it turned out that you gave us a bill, sorry, that doesn't count. You know, so, so. There would be that choke point and then maybe, you know, major stores or something would have scanners or things because they would know, oh, shoot, if we take it at the cash register and then go to deposit the bank that week, they're going to ding us. And so, you know, we got to implement. So, yeah, it's not that every single merchant would have that procedure, but enough of them would because they wouldn't want to be caught holding the bag. And so that certainly would, you know trickle out and then people would be looking and you know even babysitters and stuff would be getting bills and looking and say wait a minute is there Senator senate a three i'm not taking that pay me <laughs> you know give me a different 20. so you know that so but the point being that is how crazy these economists are these are smart people you know this isn't some idiot in fact they have to be this smart in order for them to seriously entertain these ideas so tying into you know why did we go down that digression because this is just another example of how there are people advising the the powerful saying that, you know, oh, if you could just get everybody to stop using cash, look at all these tools at your disposal. You could have negative interest rates, for example. So the idea that with the climate change agenda and how much that's infiltrated everything, the idea that the Fed would say, oh, no, no, we would never in a million years think about penalizing someone financially if they were buying things that had bad carbon credit score – no, of course they would do that. They would actually make the case that they were – they was efficient. Like, oh, we're, we're doing it over here rather than having to do it this other way, which was
0: clunky. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so this is what I was talking about earlier when I when I said the other major threat of this, besides the privacy one and, and the government shutting down your, your account if you do the wrong thing. The, the other main issue is, is just the transmission of monetary policy and how they would implement it. And this is just a perfect example. So if – if in the next time the Fed wants to impose negative interest rates and they're worried about cash, then then with the central bank digital currency, they could easily just cause, you know, one tenth of everybody's account balances to evaporate if they wanted to.
1: Now, you also I saw you had a, a follow up. Um, on, on Twitter, Jonathan, where you, you mentioned that Krugman talked about this Federal Reserve paper on the subject. And so do you want I don't want to steal your thunder. Do you want to explain to the folks what you found when you actually looked at what Krugman was talking about?
0: Sure. In uh, in classic uh, Contra Krugman style, I just followed the links to to see if there was a refutation within the article. And of course, he he uh, he links to this uh, Federal Reserve paper um, and just to remind everybody that the the article is about how silly it is to be worried about privacy it's about how silly it is to to be worried about um a central bank digital currency uh I- infringing on just a regular consumer's rights to to use their money the way they want to and in in the federal reserve paper that he links to uh, when he's saying that the federal reserve is considering this stuff the the paper itself is talking about how privacy and data pr- protection and and just the all of the the, the those concerns along those lines um, or that is like a legitimate concern for central bank digital currencies. And so it says any CBDC would need to strike an appropriate balance between safeguarding consumer privacy rights and affording the transparency necessary to deter criminal activity. And, you know, it's just like one, one extra small step from that. To just ask the question, like, okay, who who defines what's criminal activity? Who gets to say what's criminal and what isn't? Um, but but even just on the face of it, you don't even have to take that step to see that it's it's clearly a legitimate concern uh, to be worried about privacy and and how what, what sort of freedom you would have with a central bank digital digital currency or lack thereof, I should say.
1: Yeah. And so, again, it's just classic Krugman where he's linking to something and then the link itself provides evidence against the, the, the main thesis of his paper, which, as Jonathan said, that's something when Tom Woods and I had the Contra Krugman podcast up and running. That was something that would happen often that just follow the links and you'll often see what the opposite is, though you wouldn't know it from Krugman's tone and the way he's talking about it. He's he's, he's bluffing or he doesn't even know. But in any event, yeah, I, I, so I, I got, uh, how that was, was a, was a funny turn there. Um, and, and like he, you say, he, John, must have known.
0: I'm sorry. He, he must have known because he, he actually quoted this paragraph in, in his article. So the paragraph that's talking about the, uh, money laundering and financing of terrorism mm-hmm. in that same section, it's talking about the deterrence of criminal activity and, and safeguarding consumer privacy rights. So it, I mean, unless he was like just using control left to find terrorism, then he <laughs> definitely would have seen the other stuff. Right, right. And like you said, Jonathan, I mean,
1: I understand that some of the things that privacy advocates or, you know, c- civil libertarians or whatever you want to call it, some of the things they warn about, I-, I get how, like, quote, a regular person who's not into all that stuff might say, oh, come on, that's a crazy conspiracy theory. But to say, you know, having the government centralize everybody's financial records and having all your transactions running through the central bank, maybe there's some danger there. And that that's possible, you know, that could possibly be abused at some point down the road. Maybe we want to think about that. That's
0: not a radical position to take. That's, in fact, pretty obvious, especially in the light of the past few years. So well, another thing that I mentioned uh, in my write up on the on uh, Krugman's article was just like all of the stuff that happened from state governments and the federal government, uh, during the COVID pandemic, um, where people were, were misinformed and, and trying to, trying to figure out how to say this in the nicest way, in the most diplomatic way possible. Basically, there's a lot of shady stuff going on. And, um, even when it comes to the use of money, I remember a lot of people started boycotting PayPal. Uh, I can't remember the details exactly, but I think it it had to do with a new line in PayPal's uh, uh, fine print, uh, which said that if we if we see that you're promoting misinformation about about COVID or something right, like that, right. then we'll we'll. Uh, Uh, freeze your account or something like that, or we'll end our agreement with you, something along those lines. And a lot of people were like shocked about that. And it's like, okay, I'm, I'm leaving PayPal, I'm going to go somewhere else. So if that sort of thing is happening already through these public private uh, partnerships, and, and just with the financial institutions that we have today, it's it seems, it seems very logical, It seems very safe and reasonable to say that it's at least a threat to think about it it's definitely not this unfounded paranoid conspiracy theory
1: yeah and um maybe a different way of putting it well two things so one is it's funny that krugman of all people is so uh you know shocked that somebody might not trust the government with this kind of power over individuals i because at best you could say and krugman's oh but don't worry Every once in a while there'll be Democrats in the White House. But in Krugman's own worldview, we had literally Hitler, TM, who was in office for four years. You know what I mean? So it's it's not in other words, I guess we're trying to get it is there are some people that, that they really don't get worked up much. You know, they they thought Trump was a buffoon, but they didn't think he was hit, you know, they said, Oh yeah, he was in there, but you know, no big deal that, you know, that we had checks and balances and that kind of contained his nuttiness, and he was mostly just You know, he was comical and, you know, it's kind of they don't use the term the deep state, but that's kind of what they mean. Like, oh, yeah, the the government just chugs along and does its own thing. It doesn't really matter who the president. So if you have that worldview and then you're also like, eh, I could take it or leave it with the CBD. I at least think that's consistent. But it doesn't make any sense to warn that, which Krugman did, by the way, saying if Trump gets reelected, the world is going to end. I mean, he he (laughs) truly said it, it was via the climate change stuff. So it's also interesting to go, oh, the Fed would never do things that might prevent the earth from dying. You know, like, okay, well, I wonder why you think they should want to. Um, So, again, if he thinks the stakes are that high, then oh, so Donald Trump is this most corrupt person ever who does, you know, runs a fake school and pays off the porn stars and does all this, falsifies business, commits all these felonies left, right and center, all these things. But he would never dare abuse the power, you know, if the government was in charge of everyone's checking account, if he ever or him or someone like him got an office again. And we know that they can get elected because Trump did just get elected, even if you think he stole it. OK, well, someone else could, quote, steal the election. So, again, it just it doesn't make any sense that Krugman demonizes the right so much and yet is perfectly happy to give the government power not only over health care decisions, you know, via the Affordable Care Act and him stumping for let's have universal payer and all this stuff. And yeah, give the, give that same government control over all your money and all your medical decisions. Why not? I mean, what what, what are you afraid of the government? Oh, and by the way, the, these guys over here are the next Nazis. Just so you know, that that makes no sense to me.
0: <laughs> yeah, it's very inconsistent, that's for sure.
1: So, um, I, well, I guess another way of putting it, Jonathan, is what's interesting: the the people that are sort of rolling their eyes and oh yeah there's Ron DeSantis and he is you know worried about the digital currency if you ask them hey how about we get rid of all the private news organizations get rid of all the newspapers, and just have the federal government just be in charge of disseminating news is that a good idea at this point I actually don't know what they would say because these people who knows <laughs> but I think 10 years ago they all would have said no that would be insane you wouldn't want to have the government in yeah. charge of all the news and, you know, be a clearinghouse. And and if you, like, said, okay, but why? You know, and then they would start to say, well, because, you know, they might make a mistake or they could be biased or they could, you know, quash stories that are embarrassing to them. And da, da. and so for all those reasons, okay, so why do you trust them with the printing press and then even all the checking accounts instead, you know, the virtues of competition, da, 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 you know, so uh, anyway, what what are your thoughts on that?
0: I, I think they would respond uh, something along the lines of, well, money is special. Money is different. Uh, This is uh, something that, is definitely given to the government. They would, they may, might, might even cite the constitution to say Congress has the authority to, to, uh, coin money and, 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 regulate the value thereof. And so since they delegated the authority to the Federal Reserve, then the Federal Reserve would have the ability to do these, all, all these other sorts of things. So they, they would probably find some way to respond to it along those lines. But you're absolutely right. So if it's, if it's a stupid idea to, to put the government in charge of, of this sector, this industry, then why, why would we want to give them full hundred percent authority over money in the form of a cbdc
1: yeah and, and again i want to be clear I'm, I'm not merely making the point that like oh if the government shouldn't be in charge of ice cream why should it be in charge of cars or something like where they're kind of different things like i'm i mean literally for the exact same reason that they, they wouldn't be in charge of news you know because bias or they might punish their enemies yeah. or they might you know uh quash stories that are embarrassing so that like j- just for those reasons per se if they can control the money then why wouldn't they, for those exact same motivations, you know, you, you use control of the money for all those things? You know, so it's it's literally like they're the same people. If they can't be trusted with the news or, you know, education or whatever you want to say, then, you know, why would they? Would you trust them with the money? And I think you're right, John. I think probably the main knee-jerk explanation is that most people think that money was just all, like, that's a natural, just like, oh, yeah, the government has to build the roads, the the money comes from the government. I mean, we wouldn't even have money if it weren't for the government. So what the heck, you know, how could you, I can't even imagine. And which just shows, you know, their faulty history. Which is why, folks, you should get my book uh, published by the Mises Institute, Understanding Money Mechanics, because in the beginning I go through, the, with the focus on the United States, the the history of that, and to show that, uh, for among other things, e- even I think for people who know that, oh, yeah, the, the dollar used to be tied to gold and maybe silver or something. It wasn't like pre-Civil War, or war between the states if you prefer, it wasn't that the federal government determined, oh, here's how many dollars we're going to create, but we promised to back it up with good. No, the, the the dollar was defined as, as a certain weight of gold or silver, and the people, if they wanted to, you know, they would bring it in the, the raw metal, as it were, and just get it stamped into the coins appropriately at those respective ratios So it wasn't even like the authorities were in charge of how many dollars officially existed. They were more just defining what it was. And then in a sense, the public through its desires would would choose, you know, endogenously, if you like that word, the the quantity of of money. And so it, it really was far more decentralized of a system, even relative to, say, like the gold standard as of 1913.
0: Yeah, it's it really is a great book. Uh, I actually used it as a, a text in my money and banking class, and uh, it it went over very well. So it was great for student discussions and lots of good uh, current events and current debates you touched on in the book. So it's great.
1: Oh well, I'm glad glad that worked out for you. Um, so I guess why don't we just wrap up in closing thoughts here, Jonathan? Um, I I don't know actually where what your perspective is. What what do you see? You know, I'm sort of putting you on the spot here. Obviously, the future is hard to predict. But um, do, do you have any thoughts in terms of like, do you think 10 years from now people are going to be, a lot of people are going to be using Bitcoin in day to day transactions or, or some other private, you know, market based cryptocurrency? Or do you think it's they're all going to get herded into, you know, using dollars that are more electronic than currency based?
0: Yeah, I'm not uh, sure exactly, um, but in, in terms of the rollout of a uh, CBDC, I do I do have some guesses along those lines. Um, I do I do think they're going to try to do it. I so you can tell that the Federal Reserve has been sort of priming the pump a lot with like putting out these papers and and talking about it in their in their speeches and whatnot. So I, I do think that they're going to try to roll it out. They said that they would wait for congressional authorization to do it. Um, and I, I think that that's something that definitely could happen. So I, I, d- I do think that there will be a CBDC rollout at some point in the future, five to 10 years, maybe. Um, I definitely think that it will happen during a crisis. I think that that will, that. I think I, I'm a full believer in Robert Hague's thesis that the, the ratchet effect takes place during uh, crisis episodes. So there'll be some financial crisis. Banks will be in trouble, much like uh, the, the small version that we saw recently with Silicon Valley Bank. Um, and then th- they'll use that as, as a cover for implementing a CBDC. I, another prediction I'll make along these lines is I, I don't think that they will go, they'll, they'll dive straight into a retail CBDC. Uh, with like individuals having bank accounts at the Fed, I think they'll, they'll start off with the wholesale version where it's, it's basically just a, a, a payment system between big financial institutions. And then further on down the road, then they, they might, uh, implement the, the retail version. So that, so that's what I, that's what I see happening. I think th- through a series of, of crises going forward that will definitely be, uh, talked up and played up by, by the Fed to, so that they can implement these things that they want to do. I think that that's how we'll, we'll see it sequence out that way Okay well it's
1: I, I can't disagree with you that sounds entirely plausible given what we've seen. So I want to thank uh, Jonathan Newman for joining us this week and uh, offering your insights and for those listening or watching at home. Thank you for tuning in and we will see you next time.
0: Check back next week for a new episode of the Human Action Podcast. In the meantime, you can find more content like this on Mises.org.